need every person here to just say, I'm making my exodus. Now, come on, don't whisper it to me. Say it like you mean it. Say, I'm making my exodus. Very, very important. Um, we're going to begin the journey from slavery to getting to our Canaan. Uh, here's how I said it at the onset of the year. The manna has ceased and it's time to get to a season of produce. So we're going to be walking through some intentional steps. I'm going to be dealing in the book of Exodus for a few weeks just to kind of show us some things that God would have us to know, to hear, to understand so we can be different and so we are not trapped in our yesterday and move to that place to where God would have us to go and be. Now, um, if you missed the first two sermons of the, the, the first part of the year, I want to just encourage you to go online and get a chance to listen to those and to get them in your spirit. And I'm just going to be very practical moving forth, just get to application as fast as I can as it relates to what we're teaching so you can kind of hear and get to where God would have us to be. So um, what I'm going to talk today about, at least I'm going to lay some foundation today to look at these Israelites who have been, had been in Egyptian captivity for some 400 years. And then after 400 years of slavery, God hears their cry and God gives them a heart and he gives them an ear, a ear. But more importantly, he raises up somebody to go to Pharaoh to say to Pharaoh to let God's people go that they may serve me. Now, what I'm learning about us as a people, and when I say us as a people, it doesn't, I'm not talking any specific ethnic group. I'm talking about the people of God in general. And, and I started this lesson a little bit this past Wednesday. We have faith, and there's something attached to the end of our faith, meaning, uh, and, and when that thing comes true or is realized, our faith ends, and we find something else to attach our faith to. And the way we say it is we say it this way, I'm believing God for. And then when the for happens, we have a testimony that talks about what we believe God for. I want to challenge the church as we kind of go through the teaching throughout this year. Believe God. Period. Just, just believe God. Come on. Just believe God. Get rid of the for. Just believe God. Because what will happen is if the for doesn't happen, it will mess you up. And a lot of us are mad with God because we've been believing God for for a long time. And, and here's what believing God will force you to do. It will cause you to try to do things to manipulate God. So your prayer life will change because you're believing God for. Your tithing will change because you're believing God for. You see what I'm saying? Your lifestyle will change because you're believing God for. And when the for doesn't happen, you're going to have an argument to present to God. Just like Job. Come on, talk to me. Hey, God, I did this and I did that. I did my part. What happened to you? I want to challenge you this morning. Just believe God. Just, just believe God. Just believe God. Just believe God. This will help us make this journey together um, because I want us to see what God is saying. So I'll get back to that at the end of the series, but I just want you all to hear that so we can get to where God would have us to be. So go with me to Genesis chapter 2, um, and I'm going to move quickly this morning in the interest of time. Uh, the game starts at 4.30, so I have to let you up by 4.15 so you can get home. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 2, um, jump down to verse 23. Um, chapter 2 and 23. Say amen if you're there. 
And it says it this way, uh, and, and for this series, I'll be using the ESV translation of the Bible because it's a little more literal, and I just need to be a little more literal this morning. So if you have an electronic device and you can select the ESV, go ahead and get it. Um, in some of your things, it's not a free thing. You've got to pay for it, which is okay because you should invest in your ministry. Amen. Here's what the ESV says. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And the ESV has a strange ending. It says, and God Yada, that means God knew. That's the Hebrew word for no. God knew. Point to yourself and say, self. God wants to make me a leader of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse the grammar. One more time. Say, self. God wants to make me a leader of me. Now, the reason I want to say that as we kind of walk through the teaching this morning is I'm going to look at the story of Moses and how God raised up a leader. So today the topic really is the making of a leader. And, and quit waiting for somebody else to do for you what God wants you to do for yourself. Let's just start there. Come on, give me two or three amens this morning. Let me know y'all in here. I won't be before you too long, okay? But God wants to raise you up to be in charge of you. I'm not challenging the leadership paradigms or structures of God, but just in your personal life, quit waiting for somebody else to dictate how you're going to get to where you're going to get. Are you with me? Quit allowing gates and things to get in the way. And as a result, we're not making progress as it relates to where God is trying to take us because we're waiting for somebody else to get there. So let me pray, and then we're going to go into the word. God, speak through me to your people this morning. Continue to change me and mold me and make me so I can be the person that you would have me to be. So we bless you. We give our hearts to you. We open our hearts to hear. So Holy Spirit, have your way. In your name we pray and thank you. Amen. Back up now to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, not Genesis, Exodus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for staying with me. Y'all keep me on track. Exodus chapter 1. Um, and let's begin. Okay. Now, hear me carefully, and I'm going to just be as practical as I can uh, with you. Where you are today is not accidental or incidental. And when I say where, I'm speaking about location, where you live. I'm talking about um, accomplishments in life and positions that you hold in life. Are you with me? Where you are today is not accidental, nor is it incidental. I'm one of those guys that believe wholeheartedly in Romans 8 and 28. And here's what Romans 8 and 28 says. In all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, those who are to call according to his purpose. If you understand the, what's, what's nuanced in that verse, you'll realize that there is no mistake that you made in life that surprised God. Oh, come on, y'all. I know it's cold outside, but let's not let it be cold in here. Are you with me? I know you, you need to know that, that it doesn't matter how many failings, how many successes, how many 
whatever you've gone through in life, it's not a surprise to God, nor does it dictate whether God will end up using you or not. I need to say that because somebody's hanging on to their yesterday and they can't make progress into the tomorrow because they fool themselves into thinking it's too late. <laughs> Are you with me? I, I, want, I want to be just be transparent this morning and open and honest with you. I used to be one of those guys that, that said, man, I blew it. God can't use me no more or it's too late in life. No, no, that's not the God that I serve. Nothing is accidental or incidental with God. And so there's a phrase that I want you to lock on to as I kind of go into the teaching this morning, and that's the word divine providence. Come on, say divine providence. Say it again. Say divine providence. Some of you may know it as the providential intervention of God. And what divine providence basically says is that God uses the current series of events in your life to prepare you for the next sets of things that you're going to encounter in life such that at the end of your life's journey, you've accomplished and you are positioned directly where God wants you to be. Oh, come on, say amen if you're getting this with me. Let me give you an illustration of divine providence, kind of a literary context to lead us up to what I want to talk about this morning. Divine providence can be illustrated this way. God allowing Jacob to give birth to 12th son and to give birth specifically to a boy by the name of Jacob, I mean Joseph, so that he can love Joseph out of the 12 more than the 12 sons, 11 sons that he have total, such that he would favor Joseph and give him a coat of many colors, so that his brothers can be jealous of this boy who has this coat of many colors, so that they could sell him into a pit, throw him into a pit, and mark him off as dead. So that they will take him out of the pit and sell him to some Semites that's on their way to Egypt. So that when he gets to Egypt, he can be sold to Potiphar who is positioned in Egypt somewhere. So that he would be in Potiphar's house so Potiphar's wife would maliciously accuse him of flirting with her. So that he can be put in a dungeon. So that while in the dungeon, he could meet a baker and a butler. So that the baker and the butler would have a dream. So that he could use his gift to interpret the dream of the baker and the butler. So that when Pharaoh has dreams, y'all not hearing me, and the baker is released from prison, the baker now can tell Pharaoh of a person who knows how to interpret dreams. So that Joseph would be released from prison and interpret the dream of Pharaoh himself. So that Pharaoh would elevate him to the throne in Egypt. Y'all not hearing me. So that when the famine hits Canaan way over here, seven years later, God would have already positioned a person way over here to make a pass. Divine providence, divine providence, divine, all things working together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Don't make the mistake of looking at your life in isolation. Put it in the list of so that. <laughs> Come on, say amen this morning. Put it, put it, put it, put it. In the list of so that. If you don't do that, 
you'll get stuck in the dungeon. And you won't fulfill your purpose while in the dungeon. If you don't do that, you'll get stuck when Potiphar's wife accuses you. And you'll live your life talking about how she did me wrong. Y'all not hearing me. Y'all not hearing me. I want to I give you some steps to kind of get out of Egypt. I want y'all to hear me this morning. Don't, don't make the mistake of living your life in isolation in the moment. It all works together. It all works together. But, but, but to get to the throne, you need to know that. Are you with me? Come on, say, I need to know that. Say, I need to know that. So now the text picks up today in Exodus chapter 1 with the Israelites now as a result of divine providence being in Egypt. And it is the onset of what I'm going to refer to as 400 years of hiding, not realizing the purpose for which God created them. So look with me at Exodus chapter 1 and let's read there so we can kind of hear what God is saying to us in the midst of this lesson this morning. Come on, Exodus chapter 1. I want us to see what that is say, saying there. Now notice how Exodus chapter 1 begins. These are the names of the son of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Verse 5 says, all the descendants of Jacob were how many people? 70 persons. Don't miss that. That's an important number. Joseph, the text says, was already in Egypt. Divine providence. Y'all get that? Verse 6 says, then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation died with him. I'm adding that so you can get it. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was, what's that phrase? Filled with them. The land was filled with them. Now here's what's happening at the text. As a result of divine providence, God needed to preserve the lineage through which his son was going to enter the earth realm. So he positioned Joseph in the throne in Egypt such that when the famine happened in Canaan, Joseph would be positioned so the people of God could get into Egypt. Now, what's happening at the text, the author is trying to let us see what's really happening with the Israelites while they're in Egypt. Now, mind you, they got to Egypt as a result of a blessing from God. I want you all to hear me in that because a lot of us are where we are as a result of a blessing from God. Now, what's important in the text between verses 7 and 8 is a lot of historical cultural information happened that Moses himself did not pen for us that leaves a chasm or a gap in the story. And a lot of us really don't track truly with what's going on. Notice how verse 7 picks up. I mean, verse 8 picks up. Verse 8 says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, here's what you need to know, is that there's a group of people known as the Hicksaw who were a Semitic people who back in that day and age, prior to Joseph even getting to Egypt, 
had entered the land of Egypt and they had overthrown the current Egyptian government and had set themselves up as positions of power and position of authority. So the reason I'm giving you that information is by the time Joseph made it to Egypt, the Semite people known as the Hyksaw, and because some of them were born in Egypt, they, they had overthrown the Roman, the Egyptian government and assumed position of leadership. Now, the reason you need to know that, because it wasn't difficult for them to take a Canaanite such as Joseph and put him in position because they themselves were foreigners in the land. Now, the reason I want to give you that information is because the Pharaoh that we hear about and that, that placed Joseph in the position that he placed him and the leadership paradigm that was in Egypt at the time were not the original Egyptian dynasty that was in place the whole time. So here's what's happening now. Time existed with this Hicksaw people that were in position in Egypt serving as pharaohs and kings and rulers. But the whole time, the Egyptian people were laying low with hopes and anticipation to one day reclaim Egypt to themselves. Now, the reason that is critical information for you to get, the time came where the Egyptian resurfaced the power and they forced or removed the Hicksaw people out of Egyptian reign and they reclaimed the throne. Now, here's verse 8. A new king came on the scene that Joseph didn't help out. That word no is the word yada. It's a critical word. It's a critical word because what the word says, even though the word has experiential meaning with it, it's, it's more in this context, it's more on the surface. This king was not acquainted with Joseph. Now, the reason you need to know that is because what the text says, it's not, it's not so much that, that the king had never heard of who Joseph was because at some, between verses 7 and verses 8, over 150 to 200 years had transpired. Are you with me? And so now this new king comes on the scene. Matter of fact, all you had to do was pass through Egypt, and you would have known it was because of God working through Joseph that Egypt was preserved. Come on, talk to me this morning. But here's the thing that the king came on the scene when the author says he didn't know Joseph. Understand with me, Joseph was not Egyptian. Are you with me? Joseph was associated with this Hicksaw rule that was placed in position. All of a sudden, the Egyptians get back to their place of dominance. Guess what they want to do? They want to eliminate anything that looks like anything that could potentially eliminate them and regain Egypt all over again. So they are eliminated everything that looks like them. And the author says, this king comes on the scene that doesn't know Joseph, and because he doesn't know Joseph, the story starts to degrade. Listen to me, people. Number one, if you are ignorant of your past, you will always be ill-equipped to handle your future. I need at least two amens. Yeah. Let me jump to application real quick. The reason a lot of us are stuck in the iniquitous cycles that we find ourselves in is because we don't take time to go into yesterday. 
and to see what the transition was, to see what the shift was, to see where, what the changes were that has us in the predicament that we find ourselves in. Come on, say amen. The reason a lot of us continue to do the things like, that we continually do over and over and over again is because we plead ignorance in finding out what yesterday was. And because we don't take the time to look into our yesterday and to adequately process this to break the iniquitous cycles, we keep repeating it over and over and over and over and over again. Matter of fact, if you look at the text, and we don't have time to read all the verses, but because this king was ignorant of his yesterday, of what Joseph did and who Joseph was and how Joseph really didn't cite with the Hicksaw people. He was there to do what God wanted him to do. The king made some bad assumptions and he subjected the people of God to unnecessary slavery because he was afraid of them. And here's what he said, if they side with the enemy, maybe they might overthrow us. Say fear. fear. Say it again. Say fear. fear. You cannot be fr afraid, people, of your yesterday. Th this is a humorous illustration, but this is a problem in my life. When I think I'm broke, I don't look at my bank account. For fear of what I'll see. I got this weird feeling it's not just me. <laughs> and so here's the dumb thing I'll do. I'll write a check in faith. <laughs> Don't act like it's just me. I believe, and we attach to it, God for the money to cover this check. And let me get even more practical with y'all. I will attach tithe to it. I'm tithing in faith. I hope I don't want to, y'all don't get offended. Stick with me to the series. I don't want to offend nobody, but that's dumb. It's not practical. Are you with me? We must deal with the yesterdays and clean up the yesterdays. And, and, and the reason a lot of us stay in the cycles and we repeat the things that we do over and over and over again is because we have not adequately processed the necessary information that we needed from yesterday to get to the place where God would have us to go. And because we don't clean up yesterday the way we should, we get stuck in the yesterday. And because of fear, we have this thing latching us into our yesteryear and we cannot progress into our tomorrow. You cannot be ignorant of your past. Are you hearing me? Some more practical stuff. If it's a failed marriage, if it's a continual loss of job, if it's whatever, this, whatever the situation is, you must take the time to process adequately what went wrong so when tomorrow comes, you are making an informed decision that prevents you from going back into yesterday. Here is my, you're the leader of you. Don't blame the other person. You guys all right with me? 
This is how we started the series when we started the first of the year, right? You are the leader of you. You shape you. I want y'all to hear me. I'm going to be very practical. Don't, don't wait on the spouse. Don't wait on the neighbor. Don't wait on the boss. Don't wait on anybody. You are the leader of you. Are you with me? Because this king did not take the time to, quite, to adequately find out that it wasn't the Hicksaw people or it wasn't that Joseph and the Israelites were siding with the Semitic group. It was God using Joseph for the benefit of the Egyptians because of God's will being done. Had he taken the time to process that, he himself would have avoided the plagues that God released on Egypt because he would have had sense to use Joseph in the right context so God could bless him. Somebody needed to get that. Are you hearing me this morning? Ignorance of your past is going to make you ill-equipped to handle your future. Here's another practical piece. This year I'm going to do better. I'm going to have a bunch of money and I'm going to succeed. And you hadn't learned what, budget in, what a budget is yet. But I'm going to have a huge saving account. I'm going to have this. But you don't know how to manage. Learn from yesterday. Can we be honest, guys? Come on, y'all say amen. Learn from yesterday such that when tomorrow's come, here's what you can say. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Fellas, if you got a problem with women or a weakness with women, and, and, and you, this is how dumb we are with our, with our wives. Oh, we just friends. When the call comes, you can go, ah, oh, I've seen that one. Ladies, don't act like you don't have a problem too. <laughs> oh. But if you hadn't processed yesterday, you won't have the aha moments. You'll keep making the same mistakes. And watch this carefully. And you will subject yourself to being stuck in slavery. Fast and pray all you want. I don't want to offend nobody. You can shine all you want. <laughs> if you don't deal with the yesterday, the cycles are going to repeat itself. So come on, say break every chain. Say it again, say break every chain. Yeah, yeah. One more time, say break every chain. We're going to break some things this year to get to where God would have us. So number one, don't plead ignorance of your past. Find out, find out, find out, find out, find out. I mean, uh, you're looking at a cancer survivor, right? I remember, I'll never forget going to the doctor when they diagnosed me with cancer. And they asked me, what in your past? Anybody in your past had cancer? And I'm like, no, 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 nobody has cancer. Then my sister comes and visits me. She's my older sister in the hospital. And she says to me, did you know that our grandfather died of colon cancer? See what I'm saying? I was ignorant of my past, and so I lived a lifestyle that my past was impacting my present. So guess what I do with my kids right now? I watch them like hawks. And I educate them of my past or their past so it doesn't impact their Okay. 
That's a medical example, but lock into it because it will put you in unnecessary slavery, in unnecessary punishment, in unnecessary place. Now, you know the story. I don't need to go into detail of the story. Cause you to be making bricks out of straw and going through all this crazy stuff. I mean, that's trying to rob Peter to pay. I don't need to go through all that with you all. It will put you in a place of constant struggle, force, and unnecessary neighbor, and, and we'll find ourselves crying out depending on God for deliverance, but we can avoid that if we learn how to break the cycle to get to where God would have us to go. Are you with me? Don't be ignorant of your past such that it impacts your future. Okay? So now let me narrow it real quick to full speed ahead really quick. The Israelites find themselves in this bondage. They find themselves in this place of slavery. They find themselves in this place of, of, of subjugation to Egyptian rule for over 400 years. And they're crying out to God. They're crying out to God for help. They're crying out to God for relief. They're crying out to God for, and then all of a sudden, chapter 2 begins, and God's here, God hears them. Anybody in here been crying out to God, and you want God to hear you this morning? I'm speaking for myself. Are you with me? And it's time that God hears. So jump to chapter 2. Jump to chapter 2. Now, look at this. Here's, here's, here's what I want to point out real quick. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that she was a fine, he was a fine child, she hid him there for how long? Verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite, as his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, the text says she hid him for three months. Let me just say this real quick by way of application because we don't have time to deal with all of this. You need to know today that God, secondly, is providentially involved in your birth. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Jeremiah is clear when it says... Before I formed you in the womb, I ordained you, I knew you, and there's my word, yada, and I ordained you to be, and you fill in the blank, whatever that blank is. Now, understand with me, at the time of chapter 2, Pharaoh now, who came to the scene, or the king that came to the scene, because of the way the Israelites were multiplying, had issued a command that every child that's born, the Hebrew-made women, were to kill them or to put that boy in the Nile so he could die. Are y'all not hearing me? Put the boy in the Nile so he could die, but preserve the female children because the Israelites are multiplying too much. Then all of a sudden, chapter 2 happens, and God is about to raise up a leader. He's about to raise up a deliverer, and he says, this, 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 this Levite man connected with a Levite woman, and they gave birth to the son, and when the son was born, they observed the child and say, this one can't die. If you don't hear nothing else today, you're still alive because God has determined that you are a fine child and listen to me, and the Nile can't kill you, nor can Pharaoh take you out because God was divinely involved in your birth. And the only reason you are here is because God is not finished with you yet. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Come on, is anybody, 
It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been along. But the fact of the matter is God looks at you and he sees a fine child. He looks at you and he sees somebody who needs preserving, somebody who needs preservation, and he refused to allow the kings of this world to take you out. Oh, come on, somebody say amen this morning. Somebody say amen this morning. By all tests that the doctors had done, you should have been dead. Because of the overdose, you should have been dead. Because of the car accident, you should have been dead. Because of the sickness, you should have been dead. Y'all not hearing me this morning. Because of what you went through, you should have been done. But God was divinely involved in your birth, and he saw you were a fine child, and he released the protective mechanism to make sure you do what you're supposed to do in the earth realm. I want y'all to hear me this morning. I want you to hear me this morning. Time to get out of Egypt. Mama saw her baby was a fine child. So lock into this. She created this thing called a basket. And, and if you read the text, and y'all please read it when you go home because we don't have time to deal with it. She sealed the basket with pitch on the inside. And she put that thing in the river and she released Miriam to keep an eye on it. And so when the water would flow downstream, Miriam would check it out. When the water would change course, Miriam would hang out with that basket. Y'all not hear me. That, that Hebrew word basket is the same word that is used in the book of Genesis chapter 6 where God said to Noah, build an ark. And if you know anything about the ark that God told Noah to build, it was sealed with pitch on the inside. Are you with me? And, and here's the thing about the ark. The ark is symbolic of the ark of salvation. It's a protective mechanism that keeps you in the midst of the Nile. It doesn't matter the alligators. It doesn't matter the storms. It doesn't matter what's going on in the aisle because we're in the ark. I wish I had somebody that realized that if you are in the ark of salvation, the reason God has you is because you are safe in his arm and he has you in the ark. You're not just in the ark by yourself, but he's released a Miriam in the form of the Holy Spirit to keep an eye. <laughs> to keep an eye on you. He's providentially involved in your birth. He's providentially involved in your salvation, meaning you didn't save yourself. Because we were incapable of placing ourselves in the ark. He did it for us. Come on, is this making sense? And, and I'm going somewhere with this. I'm going somewhere with this. I want you all to track with me. I want you all to track with me. And he has released a Miriam in the form of the Holy Spirit to keep an eye on you. Here's a crazy tension in the text. Pharaoh's daughter sees the baby floating in the basket. And one of her handmaidens, her maid women, who are walking along, recognizes the child. And then she goes and she picks the child up. And out of nowhere, Miriam shows up. Y'all not getting this. This is. I know a woman who can take care of him. 
and God providentially has his mother show up. Hang on, hang on, it gets worse, it gets worse, calm down. Then he reaches a certain age after the foundation has been laid, and then God places him in Pharaoh's house. You see, some of you are mad at the fact that you dealt drugs yesterday. Some of you are mad at the fact that you went through that crazy calamity in life yesterday. Some of you are mad at the fact that you stole, spent time in jail, filed bankruptcy, whatever the failing was. It doesn't matter. Don't, and, and for you holy folk that don't have a story like that, yeah. You got one, we just don't know about it. Yeah. God allowed you to go through that. Listen, listen at me. We're going to work this out so you could, let me use some street terms, peep out the intricacies of Pharaoh's house so he can send you back when he brings you out. This is why I'm trying to tell you, don't put nothing at the end of your faith. Because a lot of you have made the mistake into believing that God wants to bring you out just to bring you out. And you can live this fat, pompous, religious, righteous life not doing nothing. No, 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 no. But God didn't go through all that to preserve you in the Nile and have your mama deposit some seed in you. And then took you with your seed and placed you in the midst of the world where you're going to mess up and do all this crazy stuff such that he can bring you out. Now you think it's all about being brought out. I'm getting ahead of myself. But you got to track with me. There is divine intention attached to your liberation. And for a lot of us, God will place us in Pharaoh's house in Egypt to be raised so when we come out, Y'all don't get this yet. Y'all. Check this out. Y'all all know this. Let me jump to quick application. You wonder why Dave Ramsey is so successful financially? Because he used to be broke. He lived in Pharaoh's house. And now look at where he's at. But look at where he ministers. In Pharaoh's house telling us how to get y'all, y'all. The church is ineffective in discipleship because here we are, we've grown and we've matured some and God has brought us out and we look down at the people who were still in Pharaoh's house. Here's what we said. How dare you kill an Egyptian? How dare you do that? How dare you hang out there? But listen, people, God has them in some practical school because he's going to bring them out and use them. And our job is to go in and take those out who have been raised by their own mothers, all this and this, because there's been a seed deposited and planted. And when the time is right, God is going to bring them out. So here's my message to you, right? He's providentially involved in your birth. He's providentially involved in your salvation. He's providentially involved in your upbringing. This is the importance of understanding your past. Are you guys tracking with me? Because now some of us have been brought out, but we're still crying as if we're still in slavery.
So you are the Moseses of your own life. This is what this teaching is going to be about. You are the Moses that God smiles on. That God allowed you to go into Nile with a basket that was sealed with pitch. That God brought you out and placed you in Pharaoh's house. And now God is trying to teach us how to live a life outside. And we've been crying out to God forever. So let me jump ahead to the end of the text because I'm way, way out of time. So jump down to verse 23 real quick. Jump down to verse 23. Are we going to stop there? Hear me, church. God cares about you. 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 Listen to what I'm about to read to you. Look at verse 23. During those many days, that same king who didn't know Joseph, he what? Died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for what? Help. Striking. The king is dead. That placed them in slavery. But they're still acting and living in slavery, even though the king is dead. The king that held you captive... Because Christ delivered you is dead. The king, come on, y'all. He's dead. He's dead. Y'all got to hear me. I want y'all to hear me. He's dead. Matter of fact, scripture put it this way. Whom the son set free is what? Free indeed. By virtue of the fact that I'm a child of the king, I belong to God. Christ the Lord is my savior. No king has me in bondage. The king that was dominating my life has died. It's a new season. The question is, why am I still in slavery? If the king is dead. If the king is dead. If the king is dead. Lock into this. If that king was still alive... And y'all probably didn't even pick this up in the story. There is no way on God's earth Moses would have been able to approach him and say to him, let God's people go. Because he had wanted signs on every post office. Let me make it more real. Every camel. <laughs> he had wanted signs in every district, every vicinity, because he was going to kill Moses. But isn't it amazing, before God sends you to speak your own deliverance, he kills the thing. <laughs> that had you bound to give you authority and full author to go back and say, no more slavery, no more bondage. I wish I had somebody in here. The king is already dead. Quit living in slavery. You've got to recognize that. Don't let that old man keep a bondage over you. Don't let that old drug habit, that old lion, that old past, that old yesterday, it's dead because of whose you are. Yeah. Make a 
It's dead. Quit acting. And why am I still in slavery? How come I'm still stuck on porn? Why am I still watching this? Why am I still doing that? The king is dead. God would not try to deliver you with the king still reigning on his throne. God is now the king of your life. King is dead. 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 He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. So look at the text. Look at the text. And so the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now this is free, and I know we're late, but this is free. This is not the first time they cried out for help. For 400 years, they've been crying out for help. But God never heard because the king was still, yeah. As long as he is not king of your life and somebody else is rolling and reigning, don't waste his time. The moment the king dies, God shows up. <laughs> and then listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, their cry for rescue from slavery have come up to me. And it says, God has heard their groaning. And God, and the Hebrew word is zakar, he has remembered his covenant. And what's nuanced in that word, zakar, even though it uses humanistic terms and it kind of connotes or implies as if it left the mind of God, if you know the omnipresence and the omniscience of God, nothing leaves his mind because he doesn't need to remember because he never forgets. That's the kind of God that he is. But he had to use human terms so they could connect with him. So what zakar says, you might have forgot, but I knew all the time I was just waiting for the king to die. And now that the king's dead, I can show up. So I've heard the king has died, and he says this, and he remembered his covenant, and it goes as far back as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I love this word, and God saw, God saw the people, and then God, same word, yada, God knew, God knew. And I'm going to stop here. Here's what yada means in this context, intimate relationship has sexual overtones when you read the Old Testament. Abraham knew his wife, and she conceived and bore him. That's the nuance in the word. God knows us, and he wants relationship with us so we can conceive. <laughs> Y'all all right? Y'all looking at me like, what in the world? That's why he has you alive. Are you with me? And so conception cannot begin until you come out of slavery. Because in slavery, all he's going to give you is manna, just enough for the day. We must get to produce. We must get to produce. So here's how I want to land this morning. Somebody in here did not know that the king had died. And somebody in here doesn't feel as if God has zakarred you or remembered you. And you don't know that God sees your pain and sees your burden and sees your hurt and sees the financial struggles and sees everything that you're going through. And you don't know that God yadas you. 
I wish Cheryl was here this morning because this would have been a perfect illustration. Here comes this woman crying out to God and she decided to kill the king. And then God hears, God sees, God remembers. And then you as a congregation bless her. People, we don't have to stay in the places where we find ourselves in. You rise up, first of all, as the leader of you. Don't wait on the husband. Don't wait on the wife. Don't wait on the boss. Don't wait on the children. I stand before you as a prophet of God this morning to say to you, the king has died. Are you hearing me? The king has died. Quit living in slavery, whatever it is that enslaves you. God hears, God remembers, God sees, and God knows. And he wants us to begin traversing the journey from slavery to Canaan. But it begins with you going to the pharaohs of your life and said, love you, see you, peace. I'm out. Who was the girl talking about, I'm coming out. Want the world to know. Got to let you go. Whoever it was. You got to come out. You've got to come out. You've got to come out. You must come out. Are you hearing me?